Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today we have lots of Senators content to talk about. It is all Sens, all episode. Uh, The past couple episodes, we have been focusing on the other teams in this Canadian division because we will be seeing them so much. However, today and going forward, it's going to be a lot of Ottawa talk. I mentioned last episode, I want to get a bunch of Sens guests on, and that's what I plan on doing. Um, And today, it is the official uh, Last Word on Sens Ottawa Senators preview um, you know, I, I break down uh, just everything, you know, the roster and the outlook this year, you know, their offseason, all that stuff. I, I give my thoughts again, uh, along with Graham Nichols. I, it's a really good conversation. Um, thank you all for the support. Uh, this is episode 7 of 7 of the previews, obviously, and I think episode 12 altogether. And uh, as always, it's been a lot of fun, and I really look forward to what the uh, season brings. So I hope you all uh, enjoy it, too. Um, but we are just one day away from uh, any hockey as I'm recording this. It's uh, uh, technically Friday at 12.02 a.m., so probably by the time you're listening to this, it'll be uh, Friday late morning, Friday afternoon, maybe even Friday evening sometime, um, or Saturday, who knows. Um, but we've had two great days of NHL hockey so far, and and we're just getting started on a lot more, and now it's the Ottawa hockey starting up. So it uh, should be really interesting to see what happens. We go over the lines and stuff like that, too. Um, uh, Colin White is the surprise scratch. It looks like uh, he's probably going to be for game one, and uh, you know, so we, we discussed that a little bit too, but uh, I, I, that, that's probably got to be the biggest shock, I think, for me this year. You know, um, Branstrom and Logan Brown are uh, definitely Brown, I think, is a bit of a surprise, but uh, there was a scenario, especially with just how many people they brought in, that you could see him not making the team, especially off the bat. But, uh, you know, Colin White not being one of the best 12 forwards on this team in the eyes of the coaching staff is. Um, um, quite shocking, really. So, you know, we get into a bit of that, but uh, I look forward to being able to dissect games, what I'm seeing from players, you know, different roster lineups. Uh, after 10 long months, the season's finally here. So, enjoy it and uh, enjoy the sense preview. I, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with Graham, and I, I hope you guys uh, enjoy listening. So, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Uh, liking, sharing, you know, giving a retweet or, or sharing, you know, with anyone who, who might be interested in listening. It goes such a long way, and I thank you all so much for it. So um, hope everyone enjoys, and I will talk to you all in a couple days. Joining me now, he is a freelance writer covering the NHL's Ottawa Senators for the Athletic NHL uh, in the Ottawa department, Graham Nichols. Graham, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Um, So today is the last of the season previews that I've been doing. I've gone through every other team in the Canadian division and uh, obviously being a Senators podcast, we got to look at Ottawa too. And uh, you know, it's, um, it's an exciting year. Uh, All Canadian division should lead for some interesting matchups and stuff like that. And it's going to be a busy year with 56 games and I think roughly 112 days it is maybe for a little less for Ottawa. And uh you know, it should be exciting. Um, so, you know, we'll just jump right into it. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on the offseason as a whole. You know, it was um, one of the most pivotal ones, I would say, for the franchise in a long time, you know, with uh, the third and fifth overall picks and just, uh, you know, really shaping this team going forward. And I've given my thoughts on it. I think they did some good. And I, I also disagree with, a, you know, a fair amount of what they did. But overall, if you had to describe the offseason, you know, what were your uh, thoughts on it? 
Yeah, it wouldn't be in Ottawa Senators offseason if it wasn't a little bit polarizing, right? Um, I think you touched on uh, the good and, and some of the interesting things that are going on. Um, the draft, obviously, is a big thing, right? Adding Jake Sanderson, adding uh, Tim Stutzler, uh two top five picks uh, to the organization's young depth. I think that's huge, uh, and it's pivotal going forward. I know I know the pick of Sanderson is a little bit polarizing mm-hmm. for uh, some draft prognosticators and some analysts around the league, but... Um, just adding another uh, left left defenseman who can uh, play a good defensive game and, and transition the puck smooth, even though uh, some people are a little bit down on his offensive aptitude and and you know his offensive point produ- point pro- point production. Sorry, uh, going forward, I think uh, it, it's exciting to add a guy like that. Um, I think if you look at a number of Ottawa's defensive prospects, most of them are the offensive in- offensively inclined uh, variety, especially on the left side. So. Um, adding a guy who's a smooth skater who can shut down the transition game pretty easy. Uh, I think even if even if they did maybe reach on him and, and leave some good uh, centers and forwards uh, early in the first round on the board, um, I, I think it's a good add for the centers long term. But um, if you if you want to get in free agency and everything else, uh, it's definitely intriguing. The centers spent a lot of money, right? Um, they spent uh, like $20 million on, on a bunch of guys who are probably going to be projected to be placeholders. Lots of short-term deals. You talk about Derek Stepan, and Erica Branson, Braden Coburn, Cedric Paquette. Uh, these are guys on one-year deals uh, who are kind of just placeholders. They're just, they're there to insulate the young kids and there's nothing wrong with insulating the young kids, especially in the short season when Ottawa is facing a lot of Canadian teams who have playoff aspirations. It could be, it could be a long season if the Senators just rolled with young kids and, you know, if the losing became systemic, yeah, it could be a concern. So you kind of understand why the organization went out and, and made a number of veteran signings. But at the same time, I think a lot of Senators fans were looking forward to watching a lot of the young kids play this year. And if, if the team doesn't have realistic playoff aspirations, maybe this is the season to play a lot of young kids too. So uh, there's definitely arguments to be made on both sides. I kind of understand what the organization did. And I kind of understand why a lot of fans are kind of disappointed that they're not going to have a chance to watch some of these young kids play this year, at least to start the season. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, I can get behind their logic enough anyways of um, going out and trying to get some guys because he said you can't just plug in whatever crazy Melnick quote was from a year or two ago where he said at one point there's going to be 11 rookies on the team. You can't have that, obviously, you know, your your whole forward core can't be a bunch of rookies and under 21 guys. But um, so, you know, I, I definitely understand the the idea of going out and getting guys and on one year deals. And that's fine, too. And it's just um you know, some of the players, I don't know, just the, the bulk, the bulk of players that they got where I go, I'm not really sure how good of an NHL player they are. That's obviously where I've struggled. I had Dom LeCision on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he said Ottawa spent the most money, but also just kind of added the least amount of wins, at least by his model, which like isn't great, you know, but, um, you know, again, I I can kind of get behind it for a one-year thing. It's just, I've said a couple times that I think part of me would have rather them see target, if they were going to go get so many guys, target some more high upside guys, like, um, you know, Andreas Janssen came from Toronto for uh, Joey Anderson, who looks like he's maybe 15th on the Leafs depth chart, you know, Otto has a ton of guys like that. I think if you, if you maybe would have been able to sneak someone like that, that would have been cool to see, but it's, I don't know. Like I go, they made so many moves where um, obviously I, I, you can't complain about the Dadanov move. Great. You know, really skilled player on a cheap and relatively short-term contract. But uh, then you have moves like the bringing in Paquette and uh, Coburn who, which I, I like in a vacuum, you get a pick for it, but there's just so many other bodies on this team with guys like Galchenyuk and uh, you know, they spend money for step on and, you know, again, I think you can defend step on to a degree, but 
I have a hard time defending the Austin Watson stuff if you're going to bring in four or five other forwards. So I, I would definitely, I agree with the, um, you want to insulate guys, but at some time, you know, how many guys are you even insulating at this point? And that's where I've uh, questioned their, their moves definitely this off season. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a mixed bag. And I, I think you're right. If, you know, if you look at it in a vacuum, it's kind of underwhelming in terms of like the actual money spent and, and what they brought in. But at the same time, like, uh, you know, you look at some of the point projections, you, you talked about Dom Lucician. Um, you know, Ottawa is projected to finish probably bottom five in the league again. So adding another high end pick isn't going to be the worst case scenario for the organization this year. I think um, if you're looking at this season as a 56 game shortened season, all the games are going to be competitive. They're going to be playing. Um, they're going to be playing opponents who are, you know, had playoff aspirations. And you know, there's two points on the line. It's divisional games every night. So there's, you know, it's a multi point game every night. And the magnitude of these games uh, shouldn't be lost on anyone. Like for kids like Norris, Kachuk, Stutzel to play, those kids are projected to start in the top six. So that's awesome. I don't think anyone really projected Josh Norris to step in and play on the first line right away uh, with Brady Kachuk and especially Drake Batherson. I thought they were going to insulate Norris and Batherson as well. And just to see those kids like take a prominent position right away, I think that's that's awesome. And, and that's something really exciting, but you're right. Like, I think if you look at the bottom six, I, I feel like the organization kind of went safe with their bottom six. They took a bunch of like prototypical fourth line guys and threw them in the bottom six to protect guys like Logan Brown from playing right away. And I think it's a bit of a lost opportunity. Like would Logan Brown benefit from playing on the third line with like Chris Tierney and Connor Brown? Probably. Um, and you know, you could slide Nick Paul to the fourth line where he's probably going to be a third or fourth line player long term over the future you know, the next couple of years anyway. So um, there, there is a bit of lost opportunity. I like, I think Ottawa could have weaponized the cap space a little bit better than they did. Um, but, you know, if this is going to be another bottom five season, I think like, you know, they didn't add any bad long-term deals aside from Watson. Right. And he's not prohibitively expensive either. So it's not the worst case thing in the world. Uh, they didn't really hamstring themselves with some bad deals. So it's not the worst. It's not the worst situation to be in. And if these guys are all just better in placeholders who are, who are, you know, just riding out the season, then that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, I feel like the Derek Stepan deal, they did give up a high pick for someone who's not really necessarily that good anymore. He seems to be on the decline. His production's been below 40 points for the last two seasons, albeit a lot of people are writing that off as a, as a function of playing under uh, Rick Taka for the last two years. So, it's it's kind of interesting to see what he could do playing with Tim Stutzla and Dadnoff to start the year. He maybe there's an opportunity for the Senators to pump and dump uh, step in towards the deadline and and maybe they can recoup a value pick uh, in that way. But um, it's it's a really interesting season. You look at their blue line; it's a, it's another sore spot. It, the blue line's been absolutely terrible since 2008. Um, <laughs> the organization hasn't really addressed it. Right? They've always had like a blue chip guy headlining it. And they just haven't been able to insulate them with good second, third pairing guys. And uh, you, you can see it. And the organization struggled to have consistency since 2007. So it's, it shouldn't really be a surprise. They've been weak on the back end. And a lot of a lot of seasons, they've been stuck in their own end because guys can't move the puck efficiently. And I don't think this year is going to be any different. Although I like some of the guys on the left side. It's just the right side is just a black hole and plays die on their sticks. So um, it's going to be an interesting season. There's a little bit of like... Uh, there's a little bit of apprehension. Uh, you know, some of the guys whose who's seasons I'm looking forward to are guys like Josh Brand, who I haven't seen at all, um, whose underlying metrics aren't necessarily that bad from Florida. He looks to be like he could have some defensive aptitude, but he's starting on the third pairing, right? 
Uh, and I thought he, he'd be a guy who you might be able to slot in with Shabbat, similar to how Mark Mathot slid in with Eric Carlson. And uh, I, I thought maybe this is a guy who the centers might have actually uh, found some underlying value in. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to Christian Willan and coming back on the blue line. I'm looking forward to Matt Murray and seeing how he kind of rebounds from a horrendous season in Pittsburgh. And uh, there's a lot of good question marks. There's there's some definite concern, like you mentioned, uh, with some of the guys that they brought in. But uh, it's going to be an interesting season, at least. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, you, you hit on a lot of things I do want to talk about and get a little bit more in depth. And I think my favorite stat of the blue line uh, for Ottawa in the past like decade, and I'm pretty sure it probably stayed this way last year, although maybe I'd have to double check, is um, since I think it's like 2010, one blue liner has um, had more goals above replacement than the rest of the blue line combined. So it was Eric Carlson, <laughs> obviously, for like yeah seven eight years and then when eric carlson left it was thomas shabbat who took over and he had more goals above replacement than the other five guys on the blue line combined so uh that kind of tells you yep. the the extremes that um Ottawa's blue line has really been just i don't even want to say ignored i just feel like they don't identify the right guys sometimes you know like um i, I know with uh boucher or uh guy boucher his his system is he loved the uh, left side moving the puck and, and the right puck uh, side uh geez funneling the puck to him um but that's not really an effective uh, strategy in the NHL, especially as you get closer to playoffs, because, you know, I think we've seen with teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs where their right side was really weak and a team like Boston just completely targeted and neutralized them because they knew the one side of the defense core couldn't, uh, couldn't move the puck. So um, that's definitely my biggest worry for this year too, I think to start anyways, um, the right side is it's ugly. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to see what um, Thomas Shabbat can do with a legitimate partner. Um, I don't think that'll be uh, this year necessarily, but um, I, I don't know. Like it's, uh, you know, Eric Branson slated to start on the first pair. And then you have right now it's uh, Willan and Zaitsev, I believe was the pairing in the practice today. And I'm, I'm glad Willan is the top four, but you know, Zaitsev's not exactly a great top four defenseman either. And then on the right side, you know, Josh Brown is a guy. I, I hope he can step up in a role. And another guy, obviously, is uh, they brought over from Russia, uh, Artem Zub. Uh, Artem Zub. Uh, you know, I, I hope he can work his way into a role eventually. And, you know, I'm also kind of curious to see what Mike Riley can do. Because right now it's uh, Braden Coburn that looks like he's going to be getting that third pair start. But uh, they definitely have some names that are interesting. And, you know, uh, Pierre Dorian still seemed really high on Eric Branstrom. So we'll, we'll have to see how the defense really meshes as this year goes on. Yeah, I was kind of looking forward to seeing like early in camp. It was Willannon and Brown were, were the list of pair. And I thought that's a great way to start the season. Like you're insulating Willannon a little bit because he hasn't played uh, in quite some time. So they're giving him some reps. And, and Brown had some good defensive underlying numbers. And, you know, like Zaitsev, Zaitsev's been a tire fire defensively. Like he's just been, he'll, maybe he plays fine in front of his own net. And, you know, once, you know, off the puck in the defensive zone, maybe he's not terrible, but uh, he has a hard time retrieving the puck and getting it back and then transitioning it to offense. And Ottawa spends a disproportionate amount of time in their own end when he's on the ice. And Erica Branson's kind of from cut from the same cloth, right? He's a, he's a big physical guy. He's like your prototypical, like big defensive defenseman from yesteryear. And it, it kind of feels like Ottawa falls into that trap of, of targeting like your typical, like archetypal defensive defenseman. They, they can't get away from it. They can't really adapt to the modern NHL. Like it's great to have big defensemen who are physical and, and can do some good things positively that way. But at the same time, if you can't move the puck, you're, you're essentially useless in the modern game. Like it's one thing to be big and physical and mean and tough, but if you can't 
do anything when the puck's not on your stick, or if you don't have the aptitude to put yourself in situations to turn that puck over and transition it the other way, like you're not an effective NHL defenseman. Yeah. I mean, and it feels like, you know, not just this year, you know, I don't want to single out guys on this team necessarily, but as you said, they've really struggled to just find guys who can do that, you know, and they're the, it's hard because, you know, everyone's looking for it. That's what makes, you know, such a good defenseman. If you can do both of those things effectively in the NHL, you know, not just one or the other, but um, you know, it's why, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see how they address the right side going forward. I, I know the Dylan DeMello stuff has been beaten to death. You know, I, I, he still would have been the perfect partner on the top pair with Shabbat right now, but you can't have him. So, you know, but you look even in their, um, the, the minors right now, it's not like they, they have a ton of right-handed D, you know, they got Lassie Thompson. They really need him so, to be someone or, you know, uh, uh, there's been talks that maybe Branchstrom will play the right side, but I see him as a left-hand defenseman. And then, you know, uh, I think, I, I mean, you, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe uh, is Bernard Docker a right-handed defenseman? He is. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a couple guys down there that you're really hoping can, you know, develop this year and next year effectively so they can help. But um, it'll, it'll really be interesting to see if they have a long-term plan for that right side, or if it's going to be more just, you know, mix and matching, because I, I think it would definitely be, uh, to their benefit to get another full-time right-handed defenseman. I, Nikita Zaitsev, unfortunately, isn't going anywhere for the next couple of years just with that contract, right? But, um, you know, if they could find a legitimate top-four defenseman to play with Thomas Shabbat and then just a placeholder every year and, and bump Zaitsev down to the third pair, I, I think it looks better. But, you know, that I, I also just don't see that happening this year. You know, I think this year is going to be – uh, a bit longer of a year just watching the right side of the defense kind of get caved in, you know, shift after shift. Yeah, as I said, it's interesting. I mean, look, looking at, like, what the Senators did this offseason, they bought out Bobby Ryan, right? Like, they they ate some of that deadweight contract and moved on and signed Dadenoff. So I think maybe that foretell, or uh, maybe that foreshadows what they might be able to or be willing to do with Zaitsev this summer. Um, but you're right, like Bernard Docker, I think they have high aspirations for. I think they project him to be a, uh, like a top four defenseman who can play well uh, defensively and and spell some of the guys that they have in their lineup right now. And, you know, Eric Branstrom is a curious case, right? He's a guy who wants to play the right side, but the organization believes that he's a left defenseman. And, and you know, you look at guys like Shabbat, you look at guys like Jake Sanderson. If those are your long-term uh, top four left defensemen, uh, where where does Eric Branstrom fit long term if he's playing the left side? Is he going to be a third pairing power play guy? Like, or is are they going to move him to the right side? Like, they don't really have a puck moving guy on the right side, so maybe there is a fit um, if they allow him to play his offside, which he prefers to do. So, uh, there's some definitely some options. I know Lassie Thompson uh, has had a rough start to his season over in, in Europe, but um, he came to camp, and uh, I I believe he'll be. Sp- spending the rest of the season in uh, North America. So maybe there's an opportunity for him to learn the game in North America, work with the coaches and, and turn his season around. But th- there are options on the right side. It's just a matter of uh, all the pieces kind of fitting together. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's not the, it's not the worst case scenario. And I think if you look at this season's draft or this summer's draft in 2021, a lot of the defensemen are projected to go top 10. So there are opportunities to draft the right defensemen uh, this year. So I'm not, overly concerned with it it's just going to take time for this thing to sort out because some of the defensemen that i mentioned might not play this year next year uh, or the year after uh, safely in the top four so it's going to take some time so we just have to be patient yeah for sure i mean you know any rebuilding team has to go through that and uh 
you know, let's get some brighter stuff for this year. Uh, you know, I've disagreed with a decent amount of what the, the team has done lately, but uh, one thing that I love to see, and I'm really excited to see tomorrow is this top six. You mentioned it before, but uh, I did not see them loading up the top six like this with uh, Norris, Batherson, Kachuk on the first line, Stutzla, Stepan, Dadanov on the second line. Um, I'm really, really, really excited to see how long this stays together and if this can work because um, I, I'm really excited, you know, uh, I really thought that they were going to go and maybe spread it out. I thought maybe we'd see Dadanov with Kachuk and then someone like Tierney in the middle and then step on with Stutzla, Stutzla and maybe Batherson or something like that. But I, I really like the uh, top six and I, I like the third line too. I think Paul Tierney Brown can be a, a pretty solid checking line, you know, if that's what you want to call them, where they're probably not going to produce a ton of offense, but you know, if, if they can go out and do their job and play to a net neutral, uh, that should be exciting. So I, I'm really curious to see, um, you know, uh, just kind of all how it fits in, you know, obviously Ken Batherson take that step into a full-time le- legitimate NHL guy. You know, he's shown everything in the AHL. He's, he struggled a little more when he's played in the NHL. Uh, how's Josh Norris look, but also, how much better can Brady Kachuk get if he plays with, you know, really good line mates, because he looked great as an 18 year old playing along with Mark stone, but last year it's not like he had the best uh, supporting cast around him. So I'm really curious to see what he can do with a bunch of skilled, uh, skilled line mates as well. Yeah. But I, I like, even if you look at last year, I think it like Kachuk propped up John Gabriel Pajot's uh, season and Pajot had a career year and they flipped him, they pumped and dumped him. And I think, you know, everybody was kind of concerned about Kachuk's play uh, once Mark Stone left, right? Mark Stone's like your, your defensive stalwart who can turn the puck over and, and just generate offense based off his transition game and his ability to get the puck off the opposition. And uh, you know, like Kachuk had a solid season without him. Like he he played with Jean Gabriel Pajot, who's a very good third line center and maybe like a pseudo second line center on a good team. Uh, but he's not a number one guy. And like that line played against the best lines of the opposition. And he played they played against their hardest checkers, and uh, they held their own. And you know they're gonna get an, he's gonna get an opportunity to play with Josh Norris, who you know was a top five scorer in the AHL last season. He led the league in scoring as a rookie and. Um, we had Troy Mann on a podcast, uh, me and Haley Salvian earlier uh, this offseason, and he raved about his two-way aptitude. They, he raved about his work ethic and his hunger to get better. And, um, you know, it, it, to put a kid in that situation, um, there's worse places to be than to start your NHL career alongside Brady Kachuk. And it's just, you know, you, you hear the stories about how close those guys are together uh, just from their time together with the U.S. national team. And uh, it, it's going to be exciting. And you throw Drake Batherson in, in the mix, and he's had a lot of success at the AHL level. Everybody knows that. He's been an AHL All-Star. Uh, he's got a lot of offensive talent. He was a great scorer in the queue. And, you know, he struggled a little bit offensively in the NHL, but he's also shown some warts defensively as well. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how that te- that line just kind of gels together and and just how much they produce offensively, because, um, you know, it, once you get past the second and second line, there's not a ton of offense on the Senators team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, they're, they're really going to rely on this top six to uh, uh, drive the offense forward, at least to start this year, because, um, you know, you look at the fourth line, that is, uh, that's a very prototypical fourth line from a couple of years ago, where, where you got Paquette, Anisimov and Watson right now. And, uh, you know, we'll get to call him white in a second. I, he'll definitely try and, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, if, if we're just looking at the lines for opening night, you know, uh, I'm excited about the second line too. I go back and forth on step on, you know, I, I have no problem with bringing in good character guys. Um, 
I think the, the biggest issue for me with the acquisition is that they gave up a second to a team that literally needed to get out of his cap hit because they were 3 million over the cap. Um, but, you know, as a, just a player and focusing on him, I think him playing along Stutzel, uh, Stutzel should be pretty good, you know, good for him. You know, I think Stepan knows that one of his, his strengths, he, he said it in a couple interviews in Ottawa here is, you know, helping the young guys, you know, develop and everything like that. So if he can take him under his wing and just trying to help him through his, you know, his first uh, rookie year here, that'd be great. And then Dadanov on the right side, I'll be really interested to see how he plays with them too, because, um, you know, he, he's played with some really, really, really good players in Florida. So, um, you know, the, the Stepan thing I go back and forth on in terms of, you know, people are projecting him for more of a points boost, but, uh, you know, I, I get Arizona played the defensive style of game last year, but it's not like Ottawa scored a ton, a ton more goals either last year. Like, I, I honestly, I feel like for some reason I thought I looked at it and Arizona scored more goals, but, um, you know, it might have just been because they played an extra game or two, but it's not like Ottawa is this dynamic offensive team either. So I'm curious to see if Stepan can bring just something different to his game that makes him, you know, more valuable than we've seen in the past couple of years. Yeah, and even if you look at his time in Arizona, right, he played almost exclusively with Clayton Keller, uh, whose offensive uh, aptitude is is well regarded, right? Um, so, like, he, he has played with young skill players as well, and you know, I'm kind of intrigued to see how Dadnoff fares. Like, you look at who he played; you didn't mention them by name, but like Alex Barkov and uh, Jonathan Huberto, like two very good players. And Huberto is probably one of the more underrated playmakers in the league, and I think everybody's. Everybody's like waxing poetic about Tim Stutzler's playmaking ability. I'm kind of excited to see what he can do with Dadnoff. Can he feed him in the bumper position, whether it's on the power play or just, you know, a five on five? If he can feed him in the slot and get some of those one timer shots off, you know, we've all watched the highlights of Dadnoff in Florida and you see a lot of those goals, right? He's got a great release and he gets to those areas where he can score. Like it's just will that line produce enough and will Stepan be a good fit in that? You never know. And you, you just look at Ottawa's depth down the middle. You, you know, you talk about Norris, you talk about Stepan, you talk about Tierney and Nisimov, Colin White, you mentioned offhand. I don't think the lineup from game one is going to hold up over the course of the season. Like there's going to be mixing and matching throughout the course of the year. And it's only a matter of time before guys like White or, or Tierney or Norris get an opportunity to play with those guys as well. So um, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see what the leash is on some of these guys to play minutes regularly, especially like some of the vets. Like you got White and Galchenyuk in the wings ready to play. It looks like uh, DJ Smith's going to start with, you know, your prototypical third and fourth line to start the season, but it'll be interesting to see how long his patience uh, uh, lasts if, if the centers go through some scoring woes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw last year, you know, the, the lineup blender came out a lot when, you know, things weren't working or just, you know, from game to game, practice to practice. And uh, this is the year to try that out, really. I, I don't think, unless it's obviously a line is just absolutely killing it, uh, there's not much point in not trying different things out. So, you know, it works and, and doesn't work going forward, you know, and and so I, I won't have too much of an issue. And that's why, you know, when we see the lines, one thing I've really tried to get better at over the years is not just freaking out right away. And um, you know, that's what I've tried to do with Colin White here. Uh, I, I disagree with scratching Colin White for the home for the opener. Uh, I'll get your thoughts on it in a second, but, uh, I, I get, he struggled last year. Uh, I definitely do, but, um, it's a little disappointing to see, you know, some of the guys that, uh, they, they slotted ahead of him, you know, Artem Anisimov, I thought despite scoring 15 goals last year, brought way less value than Colin White did. And, you know, just, um, just in that lineup, you know, that whole fourth line, none of them really, impressed me all that much. I don't really think Paquette Watson or uh, Anisimov are 
very good NHL players if they are at all. But um, I, I do want to get your, your thoughts on Colin White because, you know, some people have made the point of, you know, with step on here and, you know, I don't always see Tierney as a 4C that Smith wants to use, but maybe he could go down to 4C. Um, you know, where's his role this year going forward if he's not even uh, cracking the top 12 uh, opening night? Uh, it's a great question. Um, you look at, you look at the bottom three though, like pocket and Isamov and Watson, they are all sub replacement players, like you mentioned. Um, but they are your like prototypical archetypal fourth line players. Um, that teams seem to be getting away from in the modern NHL, but Ottawa's Ottawa's insistent on having like a, an aggressive, uh, team it's hard to play against that's what they want to be if, if they're going to lose at least they're going to be competitive and hard to play against and that's their mantra this year so um yeah it's it's really intriguing to see colin white wind up in, outside the you know the top 12 because uh you look at some of his analytics he's not a bad defensive player yeah the offense suffered but like look who he played with in the bottom six last year i know you know in his in his freshman season in the nhl he was playing with mark stone he had the mark stone offensive bump i think he was a guy who who benefited from playing with brady kachuk and mark stone so the offense played up more than it should and you know even if you look back to when he was drafted i think most analysts projected him safely to be a second at best his ceiling was a second line center and but most realistic pro, uh projections put him as a third line center and i think that's the expectation that be should that should be carried with with colin white and you know like chris tierney can play the wing chris tierney is not a great center by any means he's, he's fine he's more than adequate he's a great depth player um but he's a guy who can slide to the wing and colin white can play the wing as well and um there should be an opportunity for him in the top 12 and to kind of see him slide where he is it's unfortunate because i think nick paul should be probably like a fourth line player on this team anyway so um, to get guys like Austin Watson or Cedric Paquette or Anisimov in the lineup at his expense is kind of a slap in the face. Um, he's had success as a young kid. He's he's played two years in the league, and it's just kind of disappointing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I just – honestly, that's more shocking to me than a guy like Logan Brown not making the team, and I want to get to Brown eventually too. But when I saw that Colin White wasn't making the opening, I just – I can't believe it because, as you mentioned, like – you know, he's great defensively and, and he put up some of, you know, even when Stone left, he still looked pretty good alongside Brady Kachuk. And I think, you know, it's safe to assume that, you know, that is a lot of Brady Kachuk's doing, but at the same time, like, and if you want to use Norris there, that's fine. But, um, you know, one of the things that I, I feel like is going to happen to him and I don't want to see it is uh, the team setting them up to fail and then going, well, look, he failed. What do you want us to do? And um, I said, you know, on Twitter yesterday, it reminds me a lot of, uh, it, it different in a way, but a lot of the Eric Branstrom situation from last year where they played him top four minutes alongside Ron Hainsey, who God bless Ron Hainsey, but it's not like he had too much left in the tank. Definitely not as a top four role. And Branstrom still had decent underlying analytics, especially in his own end. You know, he wasn't the offensive dynamo they wanted him to be, but he didn't really need to be because it wasn't being the role. But, you know, he was put in a position that it felt like he was destined to fail in. And when he, he didn't absolutely kill it, the team went, Oh, what do you want us to do? He didn't do good. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm worried about for Colin White here, where it's like, even if he does draw in, if he's playing beside Austin Watson, Cedric Paquette, what do you expect him to do in that role? Like, I just like, he's not gonna put up points in that role and the the line's not gonna look great defensively either. So it's like, where, like, I just, I, I feel like the organization's not dooming him to fail, but if they keep playing him like this, you know, I just don't know how you can expect any success to come from that. No, and that's that point's bang on. Like I wouldn't disagree with anything that you just said. It, it's 
it's putting a kid in a position to succeed and have success. And if he's a third line guy playing with good third line talent, playing with a Connor Brown, playing with a Nick Paul or a Chris Tierney and just let them do their thing. And, um, if you're putting him in the top six, um, you're miscasting him as a first line center. He's just there. Um, you're insulating a guy like Josh Norris if Colin White's playing on the first line. That's all you're doing. And you know, like White, White's not young. Like White's a little bit older. He went to college, right? Like he's not your prototypical young. He's like 24 guy. already, I think. Right? Yeah. Like, so yeah, there's he is what he is at this point of his career, most likely, right? Like there's, but it, it's just one of those seasons, right? Like if the if the playoff aspirations aren't realistic. You should be you should be running him out there every night at like realistically, if you, even if you're playing your veterans, guys like Anisimov and, and whatnot, like what is what is the best case scenario for carrying Artem Anisimov ahead of Colin White all year? Maybe a fifth round pick, fourth round yeah. pick, maybe yeah, if like, you're lucky. If he plays uh, really well. And to me, it's better just to run Colin White out there on a nightly basis. Like a fourth round pick at this point is just inconsequential. You you have to get a good evaluation of your kids. And I, I'd, I'd even lump in Eric Brandstrom uh, into that conversation as well. You mentioned him. Like, I think you need to get a good, a good assessment of what these kids are so you can decide who or who, which kids you want to move forward with. Um, and then some are inevitably going to become trade chips. So that's that's just kind of where the senators are at this year. So, you know, like even though he's benched for one game, assuming he's not playing tomorrow night, if he if he's benched for one game, it's not the end of the world. Um, but it's if it's something that like kind of sticks throughout the course of the season, I think that's a huge red flag. And, you know, uh, like DJ Smith has been been lauded around this city and by the organization as a great coach. And it's just it's going to be an intriguing kind of thing to follow. Because you know there aren't too many blemishes on his record at this point, so it's it's just going to be a storyline to follow as the season progresses. Well, yeah, and the weirdest thing with the the white thing for me too is it's not like he came into camp completely out of shape, and and it, you could tell the org was mad at him because everything we've heard from uh, DJ Smith is that he really liked White's camp. He's looked good, and you know the, the fact that he got demoted to. 13th forward essentially I just I, I don't understand where it fits and I definitely agree with you where that, that's the point I've been trying to hammer home all offseason is this is the season you know the Ottawa's not going to be very good we all know that their their division maybe got easier but they also the floor got so much higher because every team has playoff aspirations you know there's no Detroit there's no Buffalo in there anymore so you know they're gonna struggle this year I think just naturally and that's okay but you know it's so important to know if someone like Logan Brown is a third center or a second center, or if he's not that, because you can't just assume he's going to be that going forward. Right. Like, and so, and say exact same thing with Branstrom. If you see legitimate uh, signs of life on say he starts on the third pair and you know, it looks like he's ready to take that next step. That is such a valuable info to have for next year, because then you're not just penciling him into the top four. And if it doesn't happen next year, you go, Oh shoot, why did that not happen? But um, you know, the one thing I will say with Branstrom is, I thought that Dorian's quotes today, uh, I, they were encouraging for Branstrom at least. You know, I, I didn't like what he had to say about Colin White. He went into just about no detail about why he was the 13th forward. But, you know, with Branstrom, I, I don't necessarily agree that what, having a shorter camp means he shouldn't have made the team. But, you know, everything he said kind of revolved around the only reason he didn't make it was because he had to quarantine when he got into camp. And, and, you know, he should be up here soon, especially provided he just plays, you know, what he does in the AHL. So I, I think that's encouraging at least. But definitely this year is a year that I think they should be um, – you know, you can use veterans. That's fine, but you got to see what you have in some of your players, right? 
Right. I think, you know, if you look at Ottawa's depth, they already have seven defensemen who are NHL. They played NHL games last season, right? You have guys like Shabaker, Good Branson, Riley, Zaitsev, Coburn Brown, and Willannon, guys who played NHL games last year. So where does Branson fit, even if he does come to camp? And, and you know, it's one thing to it's one thing to say, well, it's too bad he had to quarantine. But realistically, even if he didn't quarantine, did he have a realistic shot of cracking this camp? Because he was on a two-way deal and some of those other guys weren't because it's, it's almost like the Logan Brown situation. I feel like Logan Brown uh, got sent to the AHL camp just simply because he had a two-way contract. And, and a lot of these one-way guys uh, were in their spots simply because of their contracts. And it's, it's unfortunate because you want to see guys like Logan Brown eventually play. Um, and I don't think like Logan, like just talking about guys like Branson and Brown, like I don't know how much trade value they have. It, like, Maybe they're more valuable to the organization as trade shifts, but you know, unless you play these guys at the NHL level and show that they have some upside, it, you're going to be hard pressed to replace that value. Uh, they might be more valuable to the organization to play games and actually develop. Um, so it's it's really interesting. They've added a bunch of centers over the last two years to box Brown out of a spot. Brandstrom, same deal on defense. Uh, they don't seem to have some kind of consensus on where he's going to wind up long-term, whether it's left or right, although it gives them a little bit of flexibility. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see where these guys fit. And if I'm one of those kids who's had success in the AHL or overseas, I'm kind of chomping at the bit to either play or to get out of Ottawa. That's the thing, right? Especially with the Logan Brown stuff is – if he's not ready now, when's he going to be ready? Because there's a whole new crop of players coming, getting ready to take, you know, maybe not his spot or a spot that he wants to be filling. Right. And, you know, that's all over the lineup. And part of me almost wonders if the reason they sent him down to the AHL is to let him tear it up there so they can hope he just increases his trade value. But like, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. You know, I think teams nowadays are going to want to see at 20, I think he's 22 years old turning this year can he play in the NHL level or at the NHL level? And, you know, you, you mentioned the trade value and it, it just, uh, the thing with the Logan Brown stuff that really just frustrates me is it feels like they tanked what tr- big trade value he might've had at one point. And I, I, I mean, I don't know where he stands with other teams, you know, but um, it's just, it's one of those things where, yeah, if he's not ready with this team right now, I just, I have a hard time believing that he's going to be NHL ready for, after 30 more AHL games or whatever they're playing this year. And, and there's just so many more guys that are on the way, right? Like Ottawa, they've had so many picks over the past couple of years where they're going to just naturally have prospects want to want to push forward. But I, I don't know that that's kind of why I just, I keep going back to this off season and um, you know, I rip on the Watson deal. I really didn't like that one, but even just someone like Alex Galchenyuk, I mean, for this year, it's okay if he's sitting on your taxi squad, but it feels like he just kind of took a death spot of someone else too, you know, because like guys like Philip Schlappick are still, still sitting on this taxi squad. And that's another name where it's like, what do you have in him? And, you know, he looks like an NHL player to me, but you know, probably just a bottom sixer, but that's okay. You know, like, I, I don't know. Well, that's just it, right? Like you've added a bunch of depth guys, like Cedric Paquette, Alex Gilchenyuk. You had a Philip Schlappick in, in house who's relatively inexpensive. You don't have to box guys like that out of jobs. I think like Schlappick to me is a guy who has yeah, some some offensive aptitude, some defensive aptitude. He's a guy who could play probably on your fourth line who has like a little bit of energy. He's not a bad skater. Um, you know, you just put him in a four check and roll, let him do his thing. Hopefully he chips him offensively from time to time and, and let a kid like that run with a Nick Paul or 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 whomever. And uh it, 
having a lot of depth is great, but if you're boxing it out continually with guys just for the sake of doing it, it's, I don't know, it's a bit weird. And uh, it's it's just one of those situations where they signed a bunch of guys and then they made a deal. They got a second round pick back from Tampa in the pocket Coburn deal, but um, it just felt like they were adding bodies for the sake of adding bodies just because they didn't trust a lot of their kids. And, you know, for years from this organization, all you've heard is, oh, I, I can't wait. You guys, you guys get excited because these kids who are coming are going to be awesome. And it's like, okay. And, you know, you, you just look at Ottawa. Look at the guys who they have on the roster right now. They've drafted one, two, three, three of their forwards. They drafted three of their forwards who are going to play tomorrow night, most likely. Colin White would be the fourth. Uh, you look at their defense. They drafted Shabbat. That's it. And Willanin, yeah. if Willanin <laughs> yeah. plays. They've drafted two guys. Like They don't have a lot of in-house guys that they've drafted. They, it, most of them are like free agent signings, trades, and and not a lot of in-house guys. So at some point, you kind of have to like, there has to be like a kind of show me mo- like moment where it's like, okay, you know, you, like you keep talking about how great these young kids are who are supposed to be coming up, but at some point they have to play. And I like, you look at like Micah Blake McCurdy's tweet uh, from like a couple years ago where he says, I can't wait until the NHL gets away from giving opportunities to bad NHLers and starts giving them to young kids who may or may not be bad. Like, when are you going to be more comfortable rolling the dice on your young kids and going to like guys who are proven bad NHLers? And it's a great point. And it, I, I feel like it's really safe to give these chances to guys like Galchenyuk, who's on his fifth team in like four years. You know, and why does he deserve why does he deserve a spot on the roster ahead of a prospect who's been with the organization for a couple of years? He's put up like point per game results in the minors. Like I understand that Logan Brown's been hurt every season since like his last season at junior. And so it's been a while since he's played a full year. But at the same time, he's put up point per game numbers last year. And and if he's healthy, he can help this team, whether you know it's a power play depth role uh on the third line to start. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like let him, let him learn, let him be insulated on a third line, let him play some like second power play, first power play minutes. And there's nothing wrong with that. He'll help. He'll help more than some of the guys on the bottom. But for, for a lot of organizations, it's, it's safer and it's less controversial to lose with bad veterans than it is with young kids. Yeah, for sure. And you know, uh, it's not just Ottawa. We see that, as you said, all around the league, it definitely not just an Ottawa issue, but what frustrates me with Ottawa about it is that, uh, you know, for some teams they hedge because, you know, they're going for a cup run or something. And to them, the experience is more valuable and, or the knowing what you have, even if it's not great, is more valuable than the upside of a kid on a fourth line. Right. But for Ottawa, I mean, there's no cup aspirations here this season, right? Like, or there shouldn't be if, you know, I have a lot more issues if that's what the team sees this year, but so I'd much rather see them shoot with high upside and, you know, it's just, it's one of those things too, where, you know, it feels like Dorian all the time talks about, you got to earn your spot. You got, we reward people who earn it. Well, I don't know what a guy like Philip Trappett can do more to earn an NHL spot. He's looked amazing in the AHL. When he's come up to the NHL, he's shown he's an NHLer. Not a great one, like not a amazing one, but as you said, he's a good fourth liner. Like how much more exciting would the fourth line be if it was Schlappick, Logan Brown and Nick Paul on it right now? You know, and then my biggest thing with that, too, is, you know, you're afraid to play your young guys in the bottom on the fourth line because they're not playing with good players. Well, if you just don't put bad players on your fourth line, you can put younger guys there and use the fourth line a little more. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's frustrating at times, you know, what this team's doing. Um, I, I I hope it works out. But, you know, part of me also also kind of wonders because, you know, I saw the the quotes. Uh, I think you you tweeted it out today, but Dorian saying that, um 
you know, like uh, comments about like the step on was like a trade deadline acquisition in the off season. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I saw another one saying it's, it might be hard for teams to make trades this year. And I was like, that, that doesn't encourage me for the trade deadline. I, I don't know, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do and, and if they can eventually fit some more guys on, because, you know, clearly right now the, the goal seems to be try and boost some of your veterans values and then flip them at the deadline. Oh, for sure. And I think like I, I, having done a couple of podcasts before this one, I think one of the things that I've stressed is that Ottawa is in a really unique position. I think like teams like Ottawa and Detroit should not have realistic playoff aspirations this season, right? Which, you know, in a condensed season uh, where every game matters, there's going to be a lot of teams who are trying to be competitive, trying to push for a playoff spot. But if teams like Ottawa and Detroit are realistic about their their upside for this season, they're, they should be willing to trade Derek Stepa and tomorrow if the right offer comes in, you know, like, and yeah, like if you have to trade with an American club and you need the quarantine, um, teams are aware of that. So if, if teams know they need 14 days in advance to make a deal, they should be more aggressive about trying to get one done. So I think for those teams towards the bottom of the stand, they should expect to be towards the bottom of the standards. I think that gives them a lot of leverage in trade conversations. Like they can turn around and say, oh, you, you like Derek Stepan? Well, if you want him and you want to get him ahead of this deadline and you want to ensure that he's helping your team as much as possible over the next 30, 40, 40, 25 games, get him in now. Give us a second round pick. Give us something else. Give us a prospect that we really like. And it puts them in a unique position. I think it should give them a ton of leverage. So, you know, yeah, he made some interesting comments. Dorian made some interesting comments today, but I'm hoping at the same time that like just the the way the schedule works out, the way the season is laid out, it should hopefully give Ottawa a lot of leverage in trade negotiations if they decide to leverage it. Yeah, especially if they get out early like that, you know, where if you're, um, you know, we see more more frequently teams are uh, even without COVID. You know, last year we saw teams are making their big splashes a couple weeks before the trade deadline because they want to get those guys in, see what they're made of, and and see where their team is at the trade deadline again instead of just naturally assuming that everyone they pick up is going to work. And I think that should be to more extreme degree again this year. You know, especially with you know if you're trading from America to Canada or vice versa, and there's going to be the quarantine protocols. Definitely. I, I think that, you know, teams should get out ahead of it. And it starts with Ottawa, too. You know, and I mean, I get, there's a game there you got to play, too. You don't want to look too desperate by by coming too early or anything like that to people. But if they can get out on top of it, you know, it should be really interesting to see what they can do. Um, you know, and, and Ottawa's got, you know, a lot of depth that they can move around. And, um, you know, if lots of people want to pick up guys, that's great. Um, um, you know, the, the other thing I want to touch on real quick, because uh, this will really dictate how the season goes and and even if it you know struggles it's i think one of the biggest narratives of the season uh you know what do, what do you uh think the goaltending is going to look like this year you know um are you a matt murray fan uh did you like the trade the contract uh you know personally i, I thought the trade was pretty good i i thought only giving up a second and uh i think it was a c-level prospect or so i i thought that was decent i'm a little more hesitant on the, the the contract. I I get you had to pay him because you traded for him, but I thought six point two five for four years was a lot. But you know, well, what do you see in especially Matt Murray this year? I I understand the rationale behind the trade, right? Young kid who's twenty six who can be young enough. He's won two cups already. Um, he's had success in the league. He's young. He can be a leader for this organization. He can grow with the young core that the organization is trying to cultivate. Every every part of that totally makes sense but at the same time he was absolutely terrible last year on a good Pittsburgh team and to trade a second round pick yeah in the grand scheme of things that might not seem like much because Ottawa's had a ton of draft picks and 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 draft capital over, over the last two years um 
But you look at expansion coming up this summer. If you consider this year to be a loss season where the team's not going to make the playoffs, you could you could bring in a stopgap guy for nothing, next to nothing this year, and it wouldn't hurt you. It wouldn't. It would not hurt you at all. And if you look at the summer with expansion, every team's second goalie is going to be available on the market, and you should be able to get them for a song. And to trade a you know a considerably high asset for Matt Murray, a guy who had a terrible year last year, you're you're betting heavily that this guy's going to bounce back, that he's a real deal. Um, but for Pittsburgh, like that's a team of cup aspirations. Um, you know their window, they still believe to be open. Any year that you have Crosby and Malkin on your team, you're going to keep going for it. But for them to cut bait with Matt Murray, I think it's interesting. It's really interesting, and you know he's had success with that team before, so within that lens, I think it's really interesting to view the trade because they, they deemed him expendable and they're going to move forward with Tristan Jerry. And for Ottawa, I, I just didn't see the necessity of making the move. Like you could find a guy who could give you league replacement numbers for much less than Matt Murray would bring. And I think there's some red flags to what he did last year. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll be lights out. Maybe it'll be like a Craig Anderson. He'll he'll go on to have a great career with Ottawa over the next couple of years. But I think if you look at what the Senators gave up in terms of draft capital, the contract that they gave him based off a of season last year, I think they overpaid. And maybe there's going to be better alternatives who are available on the market this summer. And that's not out of the realm of possibility when every organization can only protect one goaltender. So, yeah, the the fantasy point or the uh, fantasy uh, the uh, expansion draft, sorry, is a really good point. You know, just of how many guys are going to be available. You look at Columbus with uh, Elvis and Corpusalo there. You know, they're gonna probably have to give one up this year, or you know, I would assume that's a that's a team that uh, Seattle will look to take a goalie from. You know, even the Rangers. Uh, you know, they have a couple guys, and um, you know, Lundqvist obviously didn't play this year, but you know, he would have probably been available to just pick up for nothing really. If, if he would have been okay, he might not want to go to Ottawa. I think he had a trade, no trade clause, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely think that uh, it's a fair enough point. I didn't think that they, they needed to make the move. You know, I, I get, you want to try and find your goaltender of the future and Hogberg and Murray are both the same age, which is funny because I think people still kind of see Hoberg as the, uh, the young goalie, you know, 22, 23, but he's 26. So, you know, what we see now, which is, I think an NHL goalie, but not probably not a starter, you know, a decent tandem guy is, is what he's going to be. I would assume. And, and with Matt Murray, I'm curious to see what he looks like because um, his, his regular season numbers have been very interesting from a goal saved above average standpoint. Um, you know, uh, in his first full year, 16, 17, he played 49 games and he put up a 13.04 goal saved above average. Great. And, you know, they won and went on to win their, second cup in a row, I believe that year. And then in uh, 17, 18, he had a bad year. It was a minus seven goal saved above average. And then 18, 19, he had another good year, 10, 10 goals saved above average. And then last year he was very bad, 11 or 10 and a half goals saved above average, negative 10 and a half, I should say. So he's been positive, negative, positive, negative over the past four years. And it's almost just shades of Craig Anderson to me, where it's like, he would seem to go great year, bad year, great year, bad year. But I don't know if that trend's going to continue, but at least it gives me a little bit more positivity because, you know, definitely if you just look at last year's numbers, it's not, uh, not something that you would see a, a, the, the, the worth for a four-year contract of, of any, or any number, sorry. 
No, and they gave him a considerable amount of money as well, right? So they've they've invested heavily in him. And, you know, you look at this organization for the past number of years, they've gone out and tried to acquire a number of goaltenders who just haven't panned out long term. So it's you you hope it's the right guy. Uh they're all saying the right things. He's had success. He's a young guy. There's there's hope that he can uh, use Ottawa as a as a way to launch relaunch his career, right? Like he's had success in the league before, and and maybe he's a motivated guy who's focused on on doing well this year. And you know, hopefully he does bounce back. Well, hopefully he has a great year and and puts any concerns to bed. But um, I, I just think there's a lot of red flags that were present. Uh, the Senators gave up quite a considerable opportunity cost to get him, and. It's just one of those years where you know that the team was expected to do poorly, and there's going to be so many options available in the summertime. It's just a one year. Had they waited one year, uh, it'll be interesting to see who would have been on the market like this summer. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and then the only thing I uh, had other than that was to get you out on here is: is there anyone that you are really uh, curious to see on this Ottawa team? Um, and now, and also in the Canadian division, other teams. Let's start with Ottawa real quick. Is there anyone you really are interested in how he does that? You know, you feel maybe isn't getting as much of the talk. You know, obviously Stutzel is getting a lot of the talk, and uh, Shabbat's giving a lot of the talk, or, or you know, and guys like Brady Kachuk. Obviously, is there a name that you want to see either crack this roster or is on this roster that you're very curious to you know just keep an eye on this year? I think Drake Batherson, I think he's had success at the HL level. I think, you know, like he's, he's one of those prospects who's kind of uh, lost his luster a bit, not, not his own undoing, but uh, just because of guys like Josh Norris and Tim Stutzler have joined the team, right? Like got new guys, new faces, shiny new toys to distract you. Um, and, and he's getting an opportunity on the first line with Brady Kachuk and, and uh, Norris. So uh, there's an opportunity for him to contribute, put up some points, play the power play, and uh, showcase what he can do at the NHL level. And I hope he gets regular minutes a season and he gets to showcase what he can do. I'm, I'm excited to watch him play. I think uh, Nick Paul getting off the fourth line, playing with some guys like Tierney and, and Connor Brown will go a long way to solidify him as a good NHLer. Uh, you know, I staunchly supported him uh, over the last number of years. I thought he was a guy who was boxed out. Uh, similar situation to some of the prospects who, who are coming, trying to break through the roster now. He's just a big guy who had a lot of tools that um, – that were desirable. He's a big guy who's, who's physical, can skate. He has some offensive aptitude, but he never got a shot. He was boxed out by lesser prospects under Guy Boucher. And I, I shouldn't even say prospects, just like veteran, <laughs> redundant garbage guys like Gabriel Dumont. And it never made sense to me. Like, here's a guy that he should be like growing and, and trying to work with and get better at the NHL level, especially when your team's not very good. So um, for him to start the season on the third line with Tierney and Brown, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he can do, especially if there's a little bit more, uh, offense in the tank if, if he can contribute a little bit more I, i'd be ecstatic for the kid and uh on the back end uh i touched upon christian Wolanin earlier i'm really excited to see him healthy and playing again uh i think there's a lot of puck moving ability a lot of offensive aptitude uh i he'll help the power play um he's a charismatic likable young guy and uh i think fans are going to be happy to see him full-time and then josh brown uh not a sexy player by any means but he's like the defensive aptitude guy that i'm just kind of intrigued to see because he had some decent under Lying numbers in in Florida, and if he gets the opportunity to play with, you know, a Willannon or a Shabbat at some point uh, this season, I think he could do some really good things and be a cheap um, kind of defensive defenseman. So uh, those are the guys who I'm looking forward to. And you know, if Logan Brand gets a shot this season, awesome. Uh, if Alex Formanton gets a call, fantastic. And uh, those are just some of the less heralded guys who I'm um, looking forward to seeing crack the roster at some point this season. 
Yeah, I mean, I, Christian Wolanin is someone I really want to see. There was talk yesterday or two days ago that, you know, maybe he's not even on the opening any roster, and that would have freaked me out. But it looks like he's going to be starting on the second pair with Saitsev. And I, I think him and Brown will be a good pair together. You know, I as much as I want to see Brown with maybe Shabbat, um, we know that Shabbat can carry a not-so-great partner. He's done it a lot of the years of his career now. And so, you know, I, I'm not worried about him, you know, Willan and it's funny because he seems younger, but he's, he's much older, you know, like he, he's 24, 25, um, but it's college know, I, kids. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like the, the full ride in college and then coming through. But I, I do want to see, you know, if you give him a legitimate NHL defenseman, can he be a top four guy? Because I think he is, but we haven't seen it, you know, long enough. And it was a shame that he, you know, he got injured last year because I thought last year was really going to be his chance to shine. Um, but I hope this year is, you know, I really hope that he can take that step forward. And even if he's just a number three, a number four, really, like that's that's so useful to know you have going forward, considering he's not what's supposed to be the future on the left side, just a nice, useful body until you can, you can get more guys in there, right? So, yeah. Uh, one thing I should say too is I'm kind of interested, not, Everybody loves Tim Stussel. Everybody's excited to watch him play. The one thing I am kind of interested in is how long he stays a left wing and whether or not he gets an opportunity to play center at some point this season. That's that's the other storyline I'm kind of interested in. Yeah, that's a really good one too because, you know, I, I was trying to think the other day of how many guys I can think of that went from wing to really good centerman. And cause usually it's the opposite way around. And, you know, usually it's just guys later in the career, you know, Claude Giroux, I think is, is the best example lately of a guy who, you know, he looked like his career was over, switched to left wing or right wing, whatever he plays. And he revived his career. He had four more just dominant years. So um, I, I am really curious to see that too, you know, and, and where's he fit too, because, you know, we met, we've mentioned all this, the centers on the team already, you know, um, if Colin White's drawing in, you know, you've got step on, you got Josh Norris, you, we want to see Logan Brown. So, you know, which line does he fit into? I, that is definitely something that uh, will be something to keep an eye on and very intriguing this year. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to trade some of those young kids that we've mentioned as well. And, and, you know, I've mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois as a prospect of trade target for Ottawa because they, you know, if Tim Stutzel is going to be the one number one center long-term, like who is, how are how are you going to go get that guy? Is it going to be the 2021 draft where there's not that many centers available in the top 10? Is there a number one center available in the top 10 this year? Like, I, I don't know. Um, so it, it, I think that's the biggest hole. Like if, if you're projecting forward, I think that's the biggest hole in, on Ottawa's depth chart. And there's no safely projectable talent that's going to slide into that role. Maybe Tim Stutzel is, but you can't win in the modern NHL without a good two-way center centering your first line. And, uh, you know, if Ottawa has that prospect within its system already, fantastic. If they don't, then they're going to have to go out and get it. And it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find my work online just at six ends, um, in the process of probably shifting my website to something else. So keep an eye out for that. But, uh, most people can find my work. I'll link to it online on Twitter. So if people want to follow me on Twitter at six ends, that'd be awesome. Perfect. Yeah. I'll tag you when this uh, comes out as well, obviously. Um, you know, thank you so much for joining me. I think I speak for both of us when I say I'm really looking forward to this season and, you know, even if it's not uh, the best season standing wise, it should be an exciting one nonetheless, you know, so um, I'll have to have you on later as the season gets going and we have more to talk about. Yeah. Anytime you want, man. Anytime you want, Alex, I really appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, looking forward to the season as well.